Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. When my wife and I first took our very first church, uh, we had been there maybe about six months, and and a businessman had taken us uh, to a car dealership. Well, a little backtrack, the church was in major financial trouble so we, we took about a quarter of our salary that we were previously making to take this church. And so once again, we, we've sold everything a few times, it just seems like, huh? And we sold our cars. We both had brand new cars. We sold our cars, and we drove this old, beat-up, if you've ever been out east, rusty church van that they thought would be nice to paint my name on the side. Lord Jesus, I did not want my name on the side of that church van. And... Uh, and so if we drove that around. We ha- our kids were probably, you know, six years old and three years old or four. I don't remember, but right in there, kind of kindergarten, first grade. And that's what we were driving around. So this businessman took us out. He said, I want to bless you guys. And he, re- he leased us a, a four-year lease on a brand new minivan. Woo-wee! I-, I think he was one of the most spiritual guys I ever knew. I really didn't know. <laughs> Anyway, he leases. Now, I'm not really into minivans, okay, guys? I'm, I'm just not into minivans, but I'm really into brand new and free. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. And so, <laughs> and so we had that van for about uh, six months, and Patty was driving it with the kids and going here and there, whatever, doing w- what they do. And, and she called me one day and said, hey, we need to get the van checked. The brake lights, the brake light system, the ABS system light is on on the dashboard. I thought, wow, that's weird. It's a brand new car. Maybe it needs brake fluid or whatever. But I I did not what most guys do. Most guys are way better than this. And I forgot about it. And uh, a couple days later, she reminded me. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll get to that. About a week later, she said, hey, look, this light is still on. And so I made arrangements and got a ride. And I took it down to the dealership where we bought it and made an appointment. And, uh, and then I left and went back to the office. Well, the mechanic, the head mechanic there called me. And uh, I'll never forget this call because when I answered the phone, he said, Reverend. <laughs> I was like looking around for who in the world. is?" <laughs> and uh, he said, Reverend, uh, we're working on your brakes. And, and I think you might need to come back down to the shop. And, and I thought, well, uh, man, just <laughs> I don't really care. Just fix the thing. You know, I don't have time to come look at what you're doing. He said, no, this is serious. We want you to come down here. So I got a ride, went down there. He had the uh, minivan up on a lift, and he walked me under there, and he pointed out that after the brake lines leave the master cylinder and start heading down to all the four wheels, that a section had been precisely cut out about a foot long, and there was absolutely no brake lines in there whatsoever. So in other words, as I procrastinated for over a week to get the minivan into the shop, technically her brakes with our kids in there in Detroit traffic, mind you, should have not worked. Now, we have our theory as to what happened, and I'll save that part of the story because I always need stories for another message. But I did thank God for his protection. I was too young to think about the doctrine of God sending angels to protect us. But as I've read more of the Bible and studied more of the Bible and really dove into Psalms 91, I've come to realize that God sends angels to protect us. That might sound like this really weird out there doctrine, 
But again, we're going to let Psalms 91 speak for itself today, and it's in there, and we need to deal with it. So here's the three things that I want to conclude this series with. I want to talk about the command of angels. I want to talk about the counterfeit lion. And then lastly, as we wrap this series up, I want to talk about the consideration of long life. And anybody that's a grandma and grandpa would say amen to that, right? Okay, so I want to consider all those things. So let's look at our final installment, Psalms chapter number 91. Here's what it says. And you'll see the red letters are where I'm getting my three points from today. So, for he will command his angels. And I love the word command. We're going to talk about that. Concerning you to guard you in all your ways. How many would take that, right? How many might even need two of those angels, right? Okay, yeah, I know. Okay, they will lift you up in their hands. Think about the imagery of this. They will lift you up in their hands. That's what I think about every time I board an airplane. Thank you, Jesus, all right? And, and, and so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, here, here's the second point. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. And you will trample the great lion and the serpent. It goes on a little bit further and says, because he loves me. Think of this. Because he loves me, uh, says the Lord, I will rescue him. That's what he's saying about you and me. I will rescue him, her, okay? For he acknowledges my name, he that dwells in the secret place. If you're dwelling there, you're acknowledging his name. This blesses the heart of God when you dwell in the secret place. And there's membership has its benefits. How many know what I'm saying, right? And he says, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Man, I will deliver him and honor him. And there's the last point. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him all of my salvation. Woo, I love that. Come, have you ever just read a verse and it almost doesn't even need preaching, right? It's just rich all by itself. But let's dive into these three points. Number one, I want to talk about the command of angels. I'm going to do this in a very uh, a, a paraphrased kind of a way at first. There's this story that you might want to reference in the Old Testament and it's this story of the king of Syria who's trying to ambush Israel and kill God's people. He's trying to wage war against them. And so he continues to sit, set ambushes against the people of Israel. But every time the ambush fails, every time it's like they knew that the ambush was going to happen. So much that the king got furious thinking that there's a spy inside my troops, inside my armies, that is telling these people of Israel that something is going on. And, uh, and one of his soldiers came to him and said, no, we don't have a spy, but over there in Israel, there's this guy that lives there, <laughs> and his name is Elisha. Yeah. Anybody know anything about Elisha? If you don't know anything about Elisha, he is one powerful dude, and uh, I think he dwells in the secret place of the Almighty. And, and so he decided, okay, so it's Elisha that keeps hearing from God and telling his people about what I'm planning on doing. So the king is a smart king, and he goes directly and makes a new strategy, and he decides, if I can take out Elisha, 
then I can take out the people of God. And so his attack is, his plan is to attack the leader. And, uh, and, and so sure enough, he got thousands of his troops and surrounded the whole little town where Elisha was. This is in the Bible. I'll give you the reference in just a minute. So Elisha's servant wakes up one morning, looks out the window of their sleepy little town and sees thousands of troops there to attack and kill Elisha. Could you imagine being the servant? <laughs> uh, Master, I got some news for you to start the day. <laughs> okay. And so he goes, I can just imagine the story. He goes in and wakes up Elijah, who's sleeping. And he wakes up Elijah. Elijah wakes up and he looks out the window after hearing the report. And let me pick it up now in 2 Kings chapter number 6, verse number 16. Here's Elijah's response to all these troops out there that are getting ready to do him bodily harm. Here's what he says. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Amen. Come on, somebody. Somebody knew Psalms 91. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, what kind of faith do you have to have to get up and see all these soldiers, but to be able to see in the spirit realm and to know Psalms 91 says he will command his angels. Uh, and if you read the rest of the story, the Bible says there are thousands of troops uh, in, in fiery chariots ready to do warfare. Come on, everybody. I wonder what it would look like in your life if we didn't see the physical circumstances as much as we've seen the command of angels to surround our lives. He commands the angels. The word command is a very interesting. It, what it really means, it's a military term, and it really means that you are to lay down your life for that person. The best way we can demonstrate it, because it's a military term, if you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan, that was their goal, to go find and save. They were under command to protect and to save Private Ryan, even though it may have cost them their lives. Psalms 103 says that the angels have to obey his commands, and they are commanded to guard us. That ought to be good news for somebody. Psalms 103, verse number 20, here's what it says. Bless the Lord, you mighty angels of his who carry out his orders. See, that's what they do. They carry out his orders, listening for each of his commands. Now, real quick, because I'm going to kind of get into this a little bit in the Daniel uh, Culture of Chaos series. Let me just break this down. Uh, this is just my own terminology, but angels are broken into three different categories, and these are my own words. There's word angels, and they're the ones like Gabriel that comes and talks to Mary and says, the Lord's favor is on you. They're messengers, okay? And then there are worshiping angels. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Satan originally was a worshiping angel. His name was Lucifer, and he wanted the worship to come to him, and he was cast out of heaven. We'll deal with that in Daniel. And then there are warring angels. The warring angels are the angels that are commanded to protect you. We'll also see these in Daniel. Uh, it's where uh, it's the archangels or Michael, the archangels that come to do war. In Daniel, we'll see that uh, Michael did a 21-day war in the heavenlies on behalf of Daniel. Wow. And God, here, here's the good, really good news: He, the Lord, is no respecter of persons. So if He has a warring angel that protects Daniel, come on, somebody. 
and he has warring angels that protect us. When we begin to realize this, we stop dreaming in black and white and start dreaming in color and stepping out there because we know that God's got our back, everybody. Now, remember when Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter number 4? I kind of I toyed with this not long ago in a message I did. So the devil actually quotes Psalms 91. When Jesus is out in the desert being tempted, the devil comes and he quotes Psalms 91. Matter of fact, the only thing is he leaves out a part of it. Give me Psalms 91, 11 again. For he will command his angels concerning you. This little red statement right here, the devil doesn't quote that part. Be careful that you know the voice of God because the devil knows scriptures also and he can twist it just a little bit. Come on, everybody. And, and he says, for he will command his angels concerning you. He's trying to tell Jesus to jump off this cliff, but he doesn't say to guard you in all your ways. And, and he goes on and says the rest of that. I, I, I know I'm going to say something that you already know, but there is danger around us every single day. There is way more danger than we ever see. There are way more things that God saves us from, that His angels protect us from, than we ever see. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and in fact, I start looking back over my life, and you can do this too, and thinking about how His angels are commanded to guard me. I was 13 years old, and our house caught on fire just a, a week or so before Christmas. <clears throat> and... Uh, and I remember coming out of the house, the house was engulfed. It's but by the miracle of God or his commanding angels that I survived. I was 13 years old. I was running out of the house, and the windows started exploding right into my pathway, which caused me to stop. I didn't know what was going on. I thought my mom was up there trying to get out. At the very instant that I stopped, an electrical line from the telephone pole came down and started arcing right where I would have been. Now, in those days, I just said, thank you, Jesus. But in these days, I know that his angel is bigger than an electrical line or a house fire. Come on, right, everybody? His angels are commanded. My, my good friend Kelly, really my best friend, him and his wife just moved here. And I was just uh, in Memphis in his hometown, uh, and, and I had just got done preaching and, and I'm pretty jazz. I don't really think straight when I preach. That's why, please don't ask me theological questions when I'm done preaching, all right? I, I might be trying to tell you that Noah came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. <laughs> some of you will get that later. Anyway, <laughs> you're slow, some of you, but you're worth waiting on. Okay, so anyway, and, 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 and so I, we were going to my favorite steakhouse, so that made me even more giddy. So, man, I get done preaching. People get saved. I'm going to my favorite steakhouse, and, and we're in downtown Memphis, which is a rough area, and, and we were getting ready to cross a crosswalk, and, and a box truck had stopped, and I w was walking and talking about, yeah, did you see the one person? And Kelly grabs my collar and said, and real loud, stop, because another car from behind there just came flying through. He said, I know you're from Washington where everybody stops in the crosswalks. But doesn't anybody stop in the crosswalks in Memphis? They don't even know what a crosswalk is. And I said all that to say, Kelly is my angel, everybody. Uh, well, no, I said that to say angels are constantly protecting us in all kind of forms and all kind of way. The living translation of Psalms 91 says it this way. It says that he, they will protect you wherever you go. When Jesus was on the cross, scholars tell us that he had 12 legions. And if I do my math right, well, 
really, I can't take credit. If the theologians that I read did their math right, what that equates to is that he had 80,000 angels waiting in the wings, just like in the book of 2 Kings, ready to rescue him. And I often think about, why didn't he do it? Well, it's obvious because he loved us, but I want you to think of it different. Maybe he gave up his protection so that you and I could always receive his protection. Amen? Come on, that's a good place to just thank the Lord, right? I preached a message not too long ago called The War of Worship and why worship was so important and how we get the protection of angels through the presence of God. And in Matthew chapter number 4, to continue with that thought, it says this, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. Now watch this little part. You can write this in your notes if you want. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Stop right there. He said it is written. He's actually quoting a verse out of Deuteronomy chapter number 6. I think it's verse number 13. I'm not sure. But it's Deuteronomy chapter number 6. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, fear the Lord your God. But he's quoting it. And now he says, worship the Lord your God. Jesus always makes the difference. The law will cause you to fear God. But grace shows up and causes you to worship God. Come on, everybody. Now, that... That was a good mini-sermon in there, whether you amen me or not. But here's what I want you to see. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Watch what happens in verse number 11. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I want to submit to you one more time the same thing I submitted to you back then. When we worship the Lord, angels attend us and devils leave us. Come on. That means we ought to worship the Lord a whole lot more, everybody, right? I love this. I love this idea. Now we begin to read about angels and worship in a whole new light. Psalms chapter 34 says it this way. In Psalms chapter number 34, uh, you got that for me? Oh, we don't have that? Let me read it to you. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Or, or angels encamp around those who, come on everybody, worship him. See, it's not enough just to come to a meeting. We ought to want to get here early. We ought to want to lift our hands. We ought to want to... You see me trying to hop around up here? I got a broken shoulder that don't go up. I got bad knees. But there is nothing that's going to keep me from worshiping my God. Come on, everybody. Because that's where angels surround and demons flee. Amen. Hebrews 13 says it like this. Uh, I think I got this one. Hebrews. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. That's some freaky stuff right there, huh? Anybody seen Bruce Almighty? That's what I always think of. I think anytime I reject a homeless person, you remember where there's the homeless person and all of a sudden he metamorphosizes into Morgan Freeman, otherwise known as God, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, wait a minute. All right, anyway, a little weird side note. Okay, but there are angels, and they're commanded over us. Isn't that something? Now, don't go be stupid because of that, but there are angels that if we could see in the spiritual realm that are assigned to you. Oh, I love that. He that dwells 
in the secret place. Can I paraphrase it? He that dwells in the secret place gets a personalized, really strong archangel to go with him everywhere all the time. Come on, man. Right? Come on. Oh, man. And, and we're, listen, first of all, some of you aren't excited because your idea of an angel has a harp and some wings and a diaper floating on a cloud singing hallelujah forever? No, that is not an angel. An angel, come on somebody, makes Arnold Schwarzenegger look like that. Come on everybody. He's a warring angel. He, can pre- he has power over all the powers of darkness. Number two, the second thing I want you to consider is the counterfeit lion. Man, I want you to lean into this. I started looking at this, and um, first of all, the first statement under this point I want you to know is that we do not need to be afraid of the devil. Too many Christians are afraid of the devil. Too many Christians are afraid of culture. They're afraid of what's going on in our world. They're afraid that, oh, wow, my Christian rights have been taken. But I want you to know that you have authority and power over the enemy. Listen to me. We have power and authority over the enemy. How you exercise that is really important. We don't use that power and authority on people that we think are acting like devils. Yeah, I didn't think I'd get any amens on that one. Look at Luke chapter number 10, verse number 19. It says it. It proves what I say. I, Jesus is talking here. I have given you authority to trample on snakes. That's just another word for demons, okay? All right. I know that language might wig some people out, but the reality is there is a real devil, everybody, okay? He was an angel, and he had a third of the angels of heaven bow to worship him, and a third of them were cast out. They are no longer uh, angels of light. They are angels of darkness, or what we might call demons, or in this case, I've given you power over all of those, okay? To trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome, listen to this, all the power the in, of the enemy. Here it is again, Psalms 91. Nothing will harm you. I know the argument. Well, yes, it does. Right now I'm dealing with a sickness. My grandma died with a sickness. A tornado tore our house apart. Hey, and you can think of all the things, and, and your brain is arguing, yeah, those harmed me. No, they didn't. This life is but a vapor. And whatever we've gone through in this life is nothing because we have eternity in the secret place with the Lord Almighty. Death cannot even conquer you. Come on, everyone, right? Okay. All right. So 1 Peter says this. Um, It says, when we're talking about the lion, be alert and be sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, watch this, prowls around. Look at the word I highlighted. Like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He's like the old man behind the curtain on The Wizard of Oz. He's got a big voice, but when you pull back the curtain, he's really not all that. Come on now. He's roaring. He, he, he wants to be a roaring lion, but he's like the cowardly lion on The Wizard of Oz. And, and, and a roaring lion. And watch this. This last line is so important. I'm going to tie it into something. He, he prowls around like he's the great liar. He's he's counterfeiting. Anything that God has, the devil always counterfeits. So if God is power, then he's going to counterfeit power. And so he's trying to look like power. And, And he's looking for someone to devour. He cannot devour you. He's not that strong to devour you. Unless you're not in community, you're isolated by yourself, 
and you don't know how to dwell in the secret place. Come on, everybody, right? Okay, so, so uh, I started asking God, why is it like he's roaming around like a lion? Like, why not a monster? Or, you know, why not something else? And here's the answer that I want you to see. He's roaming around like a lion. Why like a lion, God? Because he's trying to pretend to be God. He's trying to look like God, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's trying to look like God. Let me say it a different way. He's trying to sound like God. He wants you to think that he is, that when he talks to you, when he says things, when he directs you, when he misquotes scriptures to you, he wants you to think it's God. No, here's where he wants you to think that it is the voice of the Lion of God. He wants you to think it's God when, when you hear voices of condemnation. And you hear Christians say, well, if I'd have been in church more, God wouldn't be mad at me. That is the most non-Christian thing that could ever come out of your mouth. What that tells me is you've been listening to the devil who's pretending to be a lion. But he's not a lion. But a sheep ought to know the master's voice. That's why we come to church. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we get where his voice is heard a lot. Listen, I had a banker in my church, uh, and, and, and she told me about counterfeit money before. And I said, well, how do you spot counterfeit money? What do you do, study the counterfeit? She said, absolutely not. I deal with the real thing so often all day, every day, that when one thing that is not the real thing passes through my hands, I can tell immediately it's a counterfeit. You don't have to study the devil. You have to get close to God. And when you get close to God, you'll know it's not God's voice. Come on now. He's like a lion. He's, he's trying. But we got to know his voice, everybody. We need. Some of us listen way too much to what's happening in the world than detecting the heart, the character, the cadence, the voice, the inflections of God. Come on now. When you know his voice and you feel that voice of condemnation and judgment and punishment and I'm not good enough and if I'd only done this more and done this better, See, when we know his voice, we immediately know that's not God. But if you're not listening to his voice, you'll think the like a lion is God. Watch what it does to you. If that voice of condemnation is God, watch what happens. Then I don't feel like I can approach God. So I back away from God. I don't talk to God. I'm no longer dwelling in the condo that Jesus paid for for me. I'm no longer in the secret place. Remember that verse that says, looking for who he may devour? Now he's got you right where he wants you. Because you heard a voice that was mimicking the king that's not the king. Come on, everyone. Do I have that verse? I don't think I used it. Uh, maybe I did. Uh, Proverbs 19, 12. Do I have that verse? Let, let, let me give that one. A king's rage is like the roar of a lion. See, the king's voice is like a lion. 
See, the, the, the enemy is trying to make you think that the voice of condemnation that comes through the channel of legalism and religion is his voice. And when you feel condemned and you feel like God's mad and angry at you and, and punishing you, that's when you back away. When you back away, it keeps people from church. You know it's true. It keeps people from praying. You know that's true. It keeps people out of the presence of God. And so what happens is we become alone, and that's the one that he devours. Friends, we are made for community. Thank you, Mark, for leading the charge on that. We are made for community. This whole virus has tried to destroy community and keep us from gathering and keep us from having prayer meetings and keep us from praying at the cross and keep us out of the home. No, friends, that's not the voice of God. Come on. We are made for community so we don't get isolated. Can I get an amen on it? I have no idea where I'm at now in my notes, but uh, I hope you're learning something. There's a story in Judges chapter number 14 that I love that furthers this whole idea about uh, a lion. And, and in Judges chapter number 14, it tells the story of Samson. If you know his story at all, he's a strong guy, okay? And he comes strolling down this path one day, and a lion jumps out and tries to attack him. And if you know the story in Judges 14, the Bible says that Samson tore the lion apart with his bare hands. It, Aquila, that's who we need on our security team, all right? <laughs> I mean, that's a bad dude. I mean, uh, now most Bible stories, I had a children's Bible story that had Samson like all beefed up, you know, just muscles on muscles. I'm not so sure that's accurate. I think he might have looked like Pee Wee Herman. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think he might have just been, you know, whatever and like, what? You know, because the power came from the inside, not the outside. That's just my thought. I can't prove it. But anyway, all right. Um, so, so Samson kills the lion. I want you to see this. Sometime later, he's walking down the same path. And the Bible says that he sees the carcass of the lion. And he hears the buzzing of bees. He goes over to the carcass of the lion, sees that bees have built a beehive inside the carcass of the lion. It's in there. And, and he reaches in. I mean, if you already weren't bad enough that you destroyed a lion, now you're fighting bees. Come on, right? <laughs> He reaches into the beehive in the carcass, mind you, and pulls out a handful of honey, and he eats the honey. Oh, wow. You say, Ken, what does this have to do with the lion? Here's what it has to do. That when you recognize that he has given you power over all the lions, and that you can trample the lions, come on, then everything the devil means for disaster Everything the devil sets out there to destroy you. Remember the fowler? Every trap that he sets to ambush you. Come on. Everything that lion does to try to kill you because of the power in you, because you're in the secret place. Come on. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Here's what I want to say. That out of the bad thing comes some honey. Everything the devil meant for bad in your life can be sweet as honey in your life. Can I get an amen on that one? All right? Romans 8.28 tells us this is, come on, we got, this is not just preaching stuff. This is theology. And we know that all things, in all things, God works the good of those who love him. Can I paraphrase? And God works it all out good. God makes it like honey to those who are dwelling in the secret place. Woo. Now, I know the theologians in the room and watching on camera say, yeah, but what about Job? You know, Job, everything was taken from Job, and how come God didn't protect Job? I'm glad you asked the question. 
<laughs> Patty said he talks to himself often. All right. Job 9. Watch this. I want to show you something because I want to show you the secret place in the book of Job. Job 9. Watch what it says. If only there was someone to mediate between us. Job is going through the worst hell in his life. And his friend stands up and says, you know what? If there was only somebody to mediate between Job that could bring us together. Does anybody have a guess who that might be? Come on. See, in the Old Testament, they didn't have a mediator. But his friend uh, Elihu, if that's how you say his name, uh, in Job 33, watch this. Here's what he says. Check this out. Let me read this to you. But if, but if an angel from heaven appears, okay, now, now he don't know Jesus yet, so he's just using language that he can't. If an angel from heaven appears, a special messenger, he's really talking about Jesus, to intercede. How many know what Jesus is doing in heaven right now for us? He's interceding for us. He, that's a fancy word for he's praying for us. Aren't you glad? Come on. He's constantly praying. Some of you need way more prayer than others, but he's constantly praying, all right? And, and a special messenger intercedes for a person and declares that he is upright. Jesus declares that we are upright in the sight of God. He will be gracious and say, watch this, rescue him from the grave, for I have found a ransom. The original language says, I have found a mediator. Ladies and gentlemen, Job did not have a mediator in the Old Testament, but aren't you glad that we are New Testament believers that get to dwell in the secret place, and we have a mediator, and his name is Jesus. Come on, everybody. Woo, I love that. 1 Timothy 2 says it this way, just to prove to you, uh, if I have 1 Timothy 2, yeah, for there is, is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, this has now been witnessed to all, to, at, at the proper time. This is our secret place. There is one mediator, and his name is Jesus. I think that deserves right now one more good hand clap for our Lord and Savior Jesus, right? See, Job might could have not said this, but Isaiah prophesied that there's coming a day that there will be a mediator. That's why he was able to write in Isaiah 54 that no weapon forged against you will prevail. I'm trying to get some of you to smile. If that doesn't cause you to smile, I don't know. You got angels encamped about you, no weapon formed against you. You have power over every power of darkness. That ought to thrill somebody here today. Come on now. Right? I love, love, love that, and i got to hurry up and end. So here's part number three. We have the commanding of angels. We have the counterfeit lion. I just want you to consider this one. I wrestled with this one. Um, because every time somebody dies sooner than I think they ought to die, I wonder about this verse. The consideration of long life. First of all, I don't know what's going on in the relationship privately with somebody that Maybe I think died too early. But here's what we do know. We all are appointed to live. We have a born on date. And we're all appointed to die. And it might sound morbid. But we would not be diligent Christians if we did not consider that. The consideration of long life. Now, this can mean a couple of things. It can mean literally that we have many days, many years. Uh, there's a whole bunch of... Uh, theory and theology on this. I'm not going to get into that because I don't find it very applicable. But it could also not just mean the amount of years, 
Though every passing birthday, you will claim that verse more and more. But it could also mean that we would have not long life as in years, but in a full, abundant, enriched life. I'll take that one. And that I can connect the dot with that to what Jesus said in John 10.10. I've come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. But there is one character in the scripture that I cannot get away from when I read this verse. Has anybody ever heard of the guy named Caleb? Anybody know him? He was Joshua's buddy. And one time when Moses was in charge, he sent 12 spies out to the land of Canaan to spy out the land of Canaan. And they all came back, and Joshua and Caleb were the only two that said, if God be for us, he is more than the world is against us. Let's go kick some Philistine hiney. That's a Greek word. All right, everybody? And the other 10 spies said, oh, no, there's giants there. There's all kind of problems there, whatever, whatever. Forty years later, okay, 45 years later, Caleb says, hey, I still have a promise from God, and I'm still going to cash in on it. I'm going to read this story to you, and I want every one of you to process it this way. Whether you're 19 years old or you're 90 years old, where you're at is not where you have to stay, and what you have is not all that you can have. And that song we sang today, if I'm not dead, he's not done. If I'm not dead, he's not done. If I'm not dead, he's not done. What if you haven't lived your greatest day yet? What if you haven't had your greatest breakthrough yet? What if you haven't had your greatest God idea yet? What if you haven't seen the biggest miracle yet? Come on, somebody. What if? All right, so watch this, Joshua chapter number 14, watch Caleb. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years, okay? So he was 40 when he went and spied the land. He said, let's go do this. All the bad people convinced him, nope, we're not doing it. So this guy, I think he knew Psalms 91. Because he said, I'm going to stay young, I'm going to stay strong, I'm going to have abundant life. And I'm not dying until God fulfills his promises. Watch this. 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today. 85 years old. Come on, any 85-year-olds in the house? What, what? Okay, so, so here I am. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. See... Some of you aren't amening because you're like, yeah, but my knees are really bad. I get it. But maybe that's not what he's talking about. My faith is still as strong. My belief is still as strong. I have not wavered one minute. Although the outward circumstances, they look bad, I have not wavered one minute. I still believe there is a God. I still believe there is a secret place. I don't care how bad society gets. My God still wins in the end. I'm still as strong. Come on, everybody. I'm just as vigorous to go out and battle now as I was then. Is there any more to that? Yeah. Now give me, I like how the King James says it. It says, give me this mountain. Give me this promise. Give me this hill country that, I, that, uh, that the Lord had promised me. So all the 12 spies were promised a land of inheritance, all right? So the 10 never got it. But Joshua and Caleb now, fast forward, Joshua's given out the land that was promised to him 45 years 
years previously. This is interesting. I'll close with this. Watch this. He says, he says, give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. He's 85 still saying, come on, I'll take you on right now. <laughs> Caleb hasn't retired to sit in a chair and watch everybody else do the work of God. Caleb said, give me this mountain. Somebody better have some faith for these young people. Come on now. Somebody, are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, here's, here's just an interesting note. I want to end on an interesting note. The hill country that he said, give me, that he got his inheritance was Hebron. Now, that might not mean anything to you unless you really leaned into last week's message. Because last week I preached about the six refugee, refuge cities. Hebron was one of them. I gave all the definitions of those cities. Hebron meant friendship or fellowship with God. Can I close with my interpretation of that? Give me this hill country. My interpretation is when we have fellowship and when we have friendship with God, we have abundant life and we will stay strong in our, in, in our secret place of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you receive that, everybody? That's the end of it right there. I'm all done. I'm all done. <laughs>